We must now select my successor. And it's only one man the opposition will accept. He stands for one thing, and one thing only, himself. Why have I been forced to send for Churchill? This record is a catastrophe. Let me see your true qualities. Your lack of vanity. Yeah, my lying will. Your sense of humor. Ho, ho, ho. Your Majesty. It is my duty to invite you to take up the position of Prime Minister of this United Kingdom. I speak to you for the first time as Prime Minister. The Germans have encircled 60 British and French divisions. We are looking at the collapse of Western Europe within the next few days. How long have they got if we don't rescue them? Maybe two days. We would need a miracle to get our men out. You have the full weight of the world on your shoulders. We're facing certain defeat on land, the annihilation of our army, and imminent invasion. We must negotiate peace talks. When will the lesson be learned? You cannot reason with a tiger when your head is in its mouth! Nonsense. The only slippery slope. Would you stop interrupting me while I am interrupting you? We have before us many, many long months of struggle and suffering. Even though many old and famous states have fallen into the grip of the Nazi rule, we shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender! For without victory, there can be no survival. Hello and welcome to K Have You Seen? I'm Kari. I'm Kyle. And today we're joined by a very special guest. John, hello. It's John. It's John, just, just a co-worker. Just a co-worker. <laughs> uh, and this is K Have You Seen? The podcast. The movie podcast the with movie hot podcast. takes on cold viewings. Oh, okay. We're not doing that other thing anymore. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's a good... No, no. The that's movie podcast. Time. The movie podcast. I thought I had to make up one and I didn't, so I just went with that. But, okay, we have an official tagline, guys. Hooray. Um, yeah, just at the top, I'll tell you to follow us on social. We're at K Have You Seen on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Uh, anyway, today we are here with John to talk about a very prestigious movie that neither, neither Kyle nor I had seen called The Darkest Hour. Yes. That's right. Oscar nominee from 2018, right? 2018? Uh, Te from technically the, it was 17. Yes. Was it really? Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. Well, yes. So today John is bringing that movie to us. Finally. Finally. We're finally here. Oh my gosh. John loves yeah. talking about The Darkest Hour. It's John has been. might be the only movie I've seen. It is one of people. two, <laughs> is one of, I believe, two movies John has ever watched. Yeah. I actually have one other one, but... One, one other one, okay. Yeah. Um, but John has, uh, you know, from the very earliest days of us um, breaching the idea of having him as a guest on this podcast, he has been constantly telling us 
that we should watch this movie, mm -hmm. but also not watch this movie so that we can wait and talk about it with him mm -hmm. on the air. I knew an invite Fun would fact. come. I just had to... It was confidence. Yes. It was nearly hubris, I would say, that, that led to this. <laughs> We've um, literally never had a conversation with John before this moment because yeah. we have nothing in common yeah. except for this movie. John has nothing, exactly. nothing he wants to discuss with us besides... The Darkest Hour naturally. featuring Gary Oldman. Naturally. Um, yes, so, of course, naturally, it was my first viewing. It was Kari's first viewing. Kari, how would you describe what would we, how would you describe the plot of this movie to someone who maybe has not seen it? So, it's kind of a noir take on a very specific, very short period of time. About, is it like 20 days in total? It's like three weeks, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and um, uh, within the life and the reign of, the prime ministerdom, or reign as prime minister, of uh, Winston Churchill. So this is kind of the the early stages of World War II. Kyle, you can correct me on any of these inaccuracies, but I will. Um, don't worry. <laughs> the early stages <laughs> where um, Britain is sort of deciding how it is going to, what position it's going to take on this, as they're realizing that Germany may not be a power that they can reckon with anymore. Um, but that's a huge decision, whether or not they are going to try to make peace with Hitler. And Winston Churchill is kind of the person taking the the point, taking lead on that decision as the head of the British Empire. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's basically, you, you pretty much covered it. It's like the first three weeks of Winston Churchill's administration as the prime minister. Yeah. Um, and it's May of 1940. The Germans have essentially taken over all of mainland Europe in a matter of days, practically. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously the Brits are thinking that they're going to be next, um, since there's only a tiny sliver of water separating them from territory that the Germans have are now control. Um, and uh, But there's still a huge debate and controversy over whether Britain's best course of action is to go to war against this Big, as they mentioned in the movie, the largest army that has ever been seen before on the face of the planet, or to try to go into peace talks and hopefully come to some peaceable uh, reconciliation with the Nazis, obviously being before people really knew just how bad they were in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, is that true? The largest army, so even considering Rome, history buffs, tell me, is like... This is truly the largest army that had ever been seen? I believe so. Just in modern times? It was millions of men. I believe that their army was literally millions of men. I don't yeah. think the Romans ever quite got to that level. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I mean, it was definitely like the first modern war machine that mm -hmm. ever. I mean, yes. that, that the entire country was set up to produce. So they had everything. I mean, the only thing that might have topped them would have been Russia, perhaps. Yeah, mm -hmm. at that so, point, I don't know that they had introduced the universal conscription that yeah, would have made the yeah. Russian army the biggest. Because by the end of the war, the Russian army was definitely the biggest. Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, we're getting into we're getting into to details here that don't necessarily have that much to do with the story. Sure. <laughs> I'm still going to have help, questions. But they help. They help. Oh, John and I will be more than happy to yeah, answer any I'm, questions you have. Yeah. I, I'm sure he will agree with me on that. Um, but yeah so, um, yeah, so in this film, basically Churchill has to think and act extremely quickly to determine how Britain can resist the encroachment of Hitler. Meanwhile, he also has to make sure he doesn't get kicked out of office as abruptly as he was brought in. Like, that's a huge part of the story as mm -hmm. well. It's like, how does he navigate this situation without also being removed from office? Right. Um, and so it's a lot of political intrigue. Essentially, it is a movie about what I would call like one of like the top five most stressful situations in the 20th century. <laughs> um, yeah, you definitely leave this movie thinking like, thank God I don't have Winston Churchill's job. Exactly. I know that would suck. Yeah. 
Um, so, John, before we go too much into the specifics of the movie, tell us a little bit about the first time you saw it. Okay. How, like, why is this a movie you feel strongly about? Okay. And how and does it fit? Yeah, we have some follow-up questions, but okay. start there. Um, so I grew up, my dad was always, like, into World War II. Um, just that was, like, in the family, that was something we talked about. Like, mm -hmm. whenever he was sitting at the TV, he always had World War II documentaries on. Or uh -huh. whatever, like, whatever was on History Channel. I, like, it wouldn't surprise me if you looked at the TV and History Channel was burned in the corner. <laughs> um, so that was just always something that I thought was impressive and amazing, you know, just the, what went into World War II um, just always blew my mind. So, so the military side kind of? Yeah, or? strategy, yeah. everything from strategy from, you know, Kyle and I have talked about, like, how were they able, like, at that point in time in history with, in, like, I guess, where industry was, how were they able to do that? You think mm -hmm. about, like, what it took logistic-wise, like, logistics-wise, that was impressive. So there's just a lot about it that's interesting, and, like, you know, obviously you enjoy the heroes of the mm -hmm. stories, too, so... Um, that's all, that's all, but that's like my background, right? And, um, I've loved like everything from World War II video games to like whatever you can find. World War II movies, Saving Private Ryan. I mean, we've talked about this at length, Kyle. And, um, so this movie, I've seen like the, I think it was HBO did the couple of movies on Winston Churchill, like at two different points in his life. And I've seen those and I've, you know, you've always heard about Churchill, but I don't know if there's ever been like a production, at least not in recent memory, of like Winston Churchill. Um, like, especially on this scale, like a biopic, I mm -hmm. guess. Um, and I love Gary Oldman, so it just seemed like a good... When I, I remember seeing the trailers, and I'm like, oh, I have to see this, have to see this, have to see this. Mm -hmm. Of course, didn't see it in theaters. So then it came out on Amazon Prime, and I was, like, waiting for it to, like, go oh, from, yeah. like, mm -hmm. purchase to rent. Right. Like, I sit there wait for that Tuesday where it switches over, because it's on Tuesday, I think. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so finally, it popped up, and it. I told Kyle this... Uh, you know, after I saw it, I said it, it was like one of those movies I had to go back and I had to rewatch almost immediately mm. because I was just so impressed, you know, because again, he's sort of a figure, Winston Churchill, that is, a figure that, you know, that was like his whole world was World War II. And he came out of that being like the hero, the victor of mm -hmm. World War II. And he never shot a bullet. He didn't do anything. He just was the spokesman for the entire Britain people. And he turned, like, as you see in the movie, he turned society around to fight it they were you know some of them at least were prepared to give up mm -hmm. before it even started so I just that's kind of like that has always been an impressive thing and I never knew enough about him and then this was a cool way to see like at least you know 20 some odd days in his life right so, so you didn't come into this like already having watched a ton of Winston Churchill or like just how much of couple. this did this like flesh out what you already knew or um, was this like really in it's like I felt like I read point. a little bit and I knew a little bit and I've seen like a couple of things like the HBO stuff um but I've never, I guess this was like way more in depth. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was excited about is like to see, okay, let, I want to learn more about this guy because I know who he is. We all know of him. Mm -hmm. um, but this was definitely like the most in depth thing I've seen outside of maybe the HBO stuff, which uh -huh. was very like, I think those covered a longer period of time and were yeah. stretched out a little bit more. That was one of the things that definitely struck me was that like people call it a biopic, but it's, I don't know that it really fits that because mm -hmm. it, it focuses on one real person, but it focuses on such a compressed period of time in his life that it wouldn't really be accurate to call it a biography. It's really just he is the central figure in yeah. the story of a very short 
period in British history and world history. Right. It's like in a with books you'd call it biography versus memoir. This is more of a memoir of his of a moment yeah. rather than I guess I'm a using the biopic thing. Kind no, of, I, and, and you're not the only one because it's hard yeah. to find because yeah. you would think like when I first was looking at it, I'm like, "Oh, this is going to be a biopic. Like I'm mm-hmm. going to see his yeah. whole." Right. No, it's 20 days. Like when they started yeah. marking off the days, I'm like, "Oh, this could be a lot shorter. We're in like, you know, hour whatever, uh-huh. you know." Right. Yeah. Um, the darkest yeah. one. <laughs> Whichever one that is. <laughs> nice. I won't um, stop. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I obviously had an opinion about this watching it. Um, Kari, what was your first impression reaction to this film? Um, this movie felt like an Oscar movie. It felt exactly like it was beautiful to watch. Um, you sent us a video kind of breaking down one of the scenes that Vanity Fair had done and it's a movie like that where you can watch it and read into it. And even watching that, I was like, oh, there's like whole threads in there that I didn't even see when I was watching it. It, um, I think it's interesting taking that like really short period of time. Overall, I enjoyed it. I'll say that up top too. I really enjoyed it. And I love, I love like period pieces, not always like history period pieces, but like stories within certain times. I do really enjoy that. Um, and it was, it's fun to watch something like this where it's so, you can feel how crafted it is. You're working with someone like Gary Oldman. Like all the cinematography and the direction is very clearly, very clearly like thought through. So it's it's a cool movie to watch, and it very, it very felt it felt very Oscar-ish. <laughs> yeah, it felt I I felt like it it seemed Oscar worthy more than like what I would consider the more derisive term Oscar bait. Like, it is obviously Oscar bait. Like, it is, you know, you cast Gary Oldman, check. Lots of makeup, check. Historical drama, check. It's like, it, it hits all of those, those yeah. marks. But it really did feel, like, worthy of the Oscars that it won, for sure. Like, I thought Gary Oldman's performance was excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought it did a really great job of, like, focusing on this crisis moment without getting too bogged down in context details like it was very efficient in the way it set up the context which I think is something that a lot of um, other historical dramas or biopics also um, tend to get really lost in the weeds that aren't particularly relevant mm-hmm. um, we were talking earlier today off mic about Bohemian Rhapsody which I will probably bring up several times during the course of this discussion. <laughs> Kyle's but, fresh off of watching Bohemian But Rhapsody. I thought that it, by watching those two movies back-to-back, one of the things that I noticed was that that movie did more, like, it fell into some of the traps that this movie avoided, which was not, it, it felt oblo- obligated to get into a lot of details that don't really serve the story that the movie's trying to tell. Mm-hmm. Whereas Darkest Hour did a really good job about being economical with those context details. Like, they mention, for example, Gallipoli several times, but mm-hmm. they, they don't really talk about what it is, but you get the point, like even if you have never heard of that before, which a lot of people probably have not watching this movie, you get that that was something in Churchill's past that has kind of haunted his career, if not his personal life as mm-hmm. well. Um, but yeah, I mean, just from a personal level, this one definitely ticked a lot of boxes for me, again, with the history, World War II history thing. Um, it really effectively conveyed like the stress and the urgency of the yeah. situation. Um, in what could have otherwise been kind of a dry viewing experience if it wasn't handled this way. Um, also, this is Joe Wright's uh, second film that we've watched by Joe mm-hmm. Wright. Uh, I think he might be our first returning director. Um, oh. We watched his um, Pride and Prejudice back in season one, mm-hmm. right? I think so. Um, and uh, so this is kind of cool. And uh, um, yeah, I feel like this is kind of a return to his atonement period, plus mm-hmm. you know, right alongside 
his, uh, his, his Dunkirk sequence in Atonement, in, in, in that movie Atonement. Um, but yeah, and also I was kind of, I was impressed. I would not lean too heavily on this, but um, this was definitely like portrayed as like a man's story, and it kind of is, but I was glad to see that like the involvement of the women surrounding Winston Churchill was not completely ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Joe Wright in general seems to be kind of like tuned into that kind of thing, like in the storytelling, like acknowledging the women in stories where they otherwise might have been left out completely by other directors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I was, that that made an impression on me. I wouldn't say that I was necessarily too terribly impressed because it wasn't like a huge part of the story, but um, it was noticeable. And I thought that that was, that was, I thought that was pretty cool. It did seem, it does seem like in general, not having seen a ton of Winston Churchill culture pieces, but it does seem like his wife, Clementine, is like a huge part of Yes, his... definitely. Is it Clementine or is it Clements? Yeah, uh, Clementine, I believe. Okay. Clemmy, I Clemmy. think is what they, She's they refer Clemmy, to her. She's always Clemmy, but um, yeah, so she always seems to be a supporting character. And I think you probably couldn't do, do you know, Winston Churchill's life without including her in some mm-hmm. way. I just thought it was interesting to see, like, how, like, who is the woman that's going to put up with this person as her life partner for decades and decades? And I thought that the few scenes that they had together alone really shed a lot of light on that. And I have no idea how accurate they portrayed that in that. But as as characters in a story, it began to make sense. And she even has, like, a very frank moment on, you know, when they're celebrating him becoming prime minister, like... Where she's just like, yeah, this is, I knew this was going to be hard. Like, yeah. when we got married, I had cold feet. And it seems like, you know, she's a frank person, which he needs because he's a very frank person. And, yeah, I, I think that's the question that a lot of people who are interested in exploring Winston Churchill's life come to. Is like, who the heck would marry this person and be his, you know, his first lady for their entire lives? Mm-hmm. I love how the typist she's just, or the secretary, she's just intertwined through the whole thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's like their yeah. first meeting is awful. Like, oh, fired, go away. And then she comes back in after he gets chewed out. And then <laughs> she's just sort of like intertwined through the rest of it. And you realize how personal a connection she has to what's going on, what he, the decisions he's making. Yes. Yeah. You know? I, I think it's interesting too. Like, in my other big point of reference with kind of this story, um, which I do want to get into, is The Crown, the mm-hmm. portrayal that John Lithgow does of Winston and Churchill a little bit later in his career. Um, and it does seem like young women are often put as the foil for him in mm. in pieces like that. Like, yeah. So we've got the young typist in The Crown. I mean, obviously there's Queen, but even more than that, there is... Um, there is like a young kind of secretary character, I think in the first season. Yeah. Even in Darkest Hour in the train station, there's um, like the young, there's a couple young women that kind of he encounters. And so I don't, it, it's common that he's kind of put in a scene against a young kind of naive yeah. woman. And I'm not sure exactly why. I mean, that's I think a, that, I, I think it really thing, yeah. I think it plays into like kind of the you know grouchy old man, spunky youngster kind of <laughs> dynamic, and um, I feel like if you have Winston Churchill, he's not gonna he's probably not the type of person who would have had a lot of patience for a spunky young man mm-hmm. following him around. But so pairing him with like that type, I, I I know exactly what you're being, Kari. Yeah. I, I feel like I've seen that before as well. Um, but I thought that Lily James's. Perf- performance was really good of course I mean some folks will probably recognize her from Baby Driver mm-hmm. um, but I thought that her character served like not only was her performance really good but I thought she also like the character played 
an important role in like fleshing out Winston Churchill as a character in this film mm -hmm. in like kind of being his connection to the common people and like the emotions and the timbre of the, of the common people. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, definitely because it's sort of like he has his wife when he's off of work and he goes to work and this girl is there and mm -hmm. it's, it, they're so polar opposite because one has is obviously wiser. She's been there longer. Sure. She's been on this journey and then here's this youthful, you know, thing and he, he, at first, you can tell he doesn't have a ton of respect for her. Like, she messes yes, up, kick you out, and then by the end of it, you realize she's had a family member involved yes. mm -hmm. in this war, and he's sitting here making these terrible, like, tough choices. Mm -hmm. And it just, that one moment when he sits down next to her, and he's just like, I'm just looking at you. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just so interesting, like, the sort of res exchange of respect there, yeah. and how mm -hmm. that transitions is so neat. But I do like the fact that it, it was played by someone who can play that sort of naive, yes. like... Yeah. You know, you don't expect to, that she knows a ton, but in reality, she's going through stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. it, was yeah. just, it was very neat. Yeah, and I, I, I really felt as though, um, you're right, it was like he didn't respect her, and he kind of got the sense at the beginning that he probably goes through secretaries like water. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, double space. Yeah. <laughs> Which, and by the way, the double space thing, I was really impressed because that comes back later as like, oh, he likes double spaces so you can revise, mm. you can add mm -hmm. revision. I thought that was a pretty brilliant touch and uh, a really kind of a, a, an amazing visual uh, payoff later on. Um, but yeah, um, so this movie obviously was very highly rated by critics. Gary Oldman's performance won the Oscar uh, for the last year, last year's Oscars. He won the yep. Best Actor. Um, and I thought his performance was very good, although I, I'm, I'm curious as to you guys' thoughts, just as a minor aside, like... When portraying a famous celebrity, like where do you draw the distinction between being a good acting performance and just a good impression? Yeah. Well, I would say this is interesting because this was how many years ago, right? Like Winston Churchill? Yeah. Uh, yeah 70, 70 plus years ago. Yeah, yeah, so it's like you don't have... <laughs> I, I think that's interesting because really all we have of him is some video and some voice Speeches, recordings yeah. and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So I I don't know. Yeah, I think in some situations it depends because I feel like for this, like you want it, especially how this whole movie set up, everything, costumes, everything, you know, and the effort they put into it to mimic the look. Mm -hmm. I mean, the hair and makeup, four sure. hours in the morning, mm -hmm. yeah. um, every day. Like it definitely, I think it should be more of an impression. I think that there's time though where the like the the actor has to take it like in a slightly different direction. Mm -hmm. I don't know where that trigger is, like when you make that transition. Mm -hmm. I definitely think like he he did some stuff with the voice and 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 the lip like tremor mm -hmm. at times, which was interesting. That almost bothered me a little <laughs> bit, like when you get really close. But obviously, some of those choices were deliberate. Right. Um, but I really I liked his performance, and it it was one of those. It was one of the few times, to me at least, where. I wasn't paying attention to Gary Oldman. Right. Mm -hmm. And so to me that was valuable because I'm looking at it more from the perspective as I want to see I want to see Winston Churchill on screen. I want right. to see what that is like. Sure. I remember watching trailers for this and not being it. I was trying to see Gary Oldman in him. Right. And it's hard. Like, yeah, he's he's covered in prosthetics for one thing, but he really is invoking like a very specific way of speaking and even walking and moving. And I like of course there's no like good answer or formula for it, but I do think there's some amount of just invoking. Like you don't want to get to the point of impression because then it feels very surface level. Like all you're mm -hmm. trying to do is mimic this person. Right. But I think ideally I'd say almost the opposite. That like even more than nailing exactly how maybe they spoke or moved, you you need to 
invoke them. You need to yeah. kind of channel them. And I, especially like in a good parody or something, like it's way less important that you're nailing their kind of outerness right, and yeah. more important that you are like, you're getting at something that's mm -hmm. true about them that people recognize about them. And maybe in a drama, it's actually less like that. Maybe, you, you know, you have to be a little truer to just what you see on the surface of these people, but. I thought it was interesting too. I don't, did you guys notice this? Just quick sidebar. Mm -hmm. um, sidebar to the sidebar, gotta love it. That, there were times where he was very like frail. Yes. And there yeah. were times where he was like youthful. Energetic and, and, and yeah. ready to kick ass. And it mm -hmm. sort of seemed like whenever he had the idea, it was like, oh, yep, going on the train. Like, yep. here yeah. we go. Yeah. And then like, when he was upset, he just turned into an old man again. Right, yeah, yeah, That yeah. was a very That's interesting true. transition. And I mean, I, I was thinking about this myself, and I think I just kind of, in the course of this conversation, kind of realized that it has to, it's not an either or, like, impression mm -hmm. or acting. It actually has to be both. Like, it has to be, like, great acting layered on top of the impression. Like, you have to do the impression, otherwise people aren't going to buy that you are right. Winston Churchill right. or Freddie Mercury or whoever. Right. You have to also act in addition to doing a full body imitation. Right. Um, which I think is something that a lot of people don't necessarily put into action as well as they need to in movies that they're in. Mm -hmm. But I, Gary Oldman, I think, did did that well, here. One of my favorite performances, Heath Ledger as the Joker. Sure. Mm -hmm. And he embodied a character. Mm -hmm. It didn't wasn't a real person, obviously. Sure, hope. yeah. And, but he embodied something, everything from mannerisms to the way his mouth moved, mm -hmm. his tongue, everything, and that's what sold it, was yeah. all mm -hmm. the little details that you don't normally see. Because I've mm -hmm. watched plenty of stuff where they throw in a wig right. and, you know, a, a fat suit or something like that. Sure. But they're still... You know, it's it's still yeah. Nicolas Cage or whatever. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's more to acting than mannerisms, which is something right. that I think that is important to remember when making these considerations. Because I think that that is a, a common uh, criticism of the Oscars is like, oh, like Charlize Theron put on some ugly makeup and now uh, and did a southern accent, and so <laughs> suddenly, so, right. she, so suddenly, she, yeah, so suddenly she gets bad. Well, mm -hmm. no, but she also does a great performance underneath all of the makeup, and yeah. I think that is like a lot of people criticize like those those types of movies to kind of say like oh, if you change your appearance, then suddenly that's a great performance. Well, no, but, I mean, if you can change your appearance and still give a great performance, then right. that's a great performance. Yeah, you think about, like, just having to act through all of this and keep all yeah. of the, like, mannerisms in mind and also give a great dramatic performance. Like, that's a lot to do. Definitely, yeah. So, John, I'm curious if we can move another direction. Sure. What were you thinking while you were watching it this time to review, to be on this podcast? Like, what... What went through your mind thinking about someone else watching this this movie that you feel strongly about? Um, what was I? Uh, I mean, I I told I told Kyle I think right before I like when I mentioned I wanted someone to watch mm -hmm. it was is I wanted someone to like really look at pacing of mm -hmm. the movie because mm -hmm. there's something with the pacing that just and editing and stuff like that in my background it's sort of it, to me this movie has a very interesting pace it's almost like a modern take of like a a period piece for some reason to sure, me. I don't yeah. know how to explain it. Um, I, there's always a tapping of some sort throughout right. the movie. There's a, either a piano, mm -hmm. there's him tapping his ring, there's yes. a cane, there's footsteps. It's just, it's there's like interesting things and it's so, like you mentioned earlier, there's so many different threads. Mm -hmm. And he breaks it down and there's stuff I didn't pick up on, obviously, and, and how he, how Joe Wright found things, images and stuff like that, which was impressive. I just think it's sort of a movie that like, deserves more attention mm -hmm. and part of the reason I want to talk about it is because not many people see have seen it yeah mm -hmm. right I've asked a ton of people I've asked my buddy 
and some other folks said, haven't you seen this? So great. Mm -hmm. Nope. <laughs> you know, yeah. I want to. But it flew under the yeah. radar despite right. its critical acclaim. And it's really, it's to me, it, again, it reminds me of like the movie Munich, which flew under the radar, but it's a really great, yeah. fantastic movie. Mm -hmm. That was kind of like what I was thinking of is like, I just want someone else to see it so I can talk about it because yeah. it's so good. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really glad that you made such a campaign for consideration of right. that film on our podcast because like, I agree, with posters. I, agree, I, I agree with you 100%. Like, yeah, take out that lawn sign. I, I don't want to see that anymore. I'm Please. Really um, but no, uh, I, I completely agree with you. And like, had you not brought this up, there's a good chance I would have never watched this movie. Oh, absolutely. Even though it's a subject I am interested in, a director I respect, an actor that I really like to watch, still just looked like something I wasn't gonna be interested in. And I think part of that is because the setting and the look of the, of the set, the film, is very dark and mm -hmm. drab and like rainy London town. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that I'm necessarily drawn to. It's, it looks kind of, it's not that visually interesting, but when you actually watch it, the way that it's, the way that shots are composed, the way that it's spliced together, mm -hmm. the way everything is presented, that is where the energy of the film comes from. Yeah. It's it's kind of looks like one of those you don't really want to watch because you're already going to come out of it and just be like, oh man, that yeah. yeah, yes. But yeah. then at the same time, it's very momentous. Like, yeah, yeah. what all happened in that twenty, you know, day? It period. looked almost like from the trailers, it looked like a less interesting version of the King's Speech, which right. yeah. great crossover. I mean, mm -hmm. that we we have the King from the King's Speech. By the way, another minor sidebar. I realized. This week, when I watched this movie for the first time, that the title of the movie, The King's Speech, is a double entendre that refers to both the speech on the radio the and his speech and... <laughs> impediment. Yes. I did not realize that until two days ago. I haven't seen it. There so you go. I... Learn something new. Oh, you should. Yeah, I that's mean, we'll get into movies to pair. Yeah, but... uh, ben, spoiler, Ben Mendelsohn's uh, portrayal of this King's speech impediment is a lot less severe yeah. than Colin Firth's portrayal of it in the King's oh, speech. Oh, yeah. I was looking. I was like, wait, this is supposed to be the same king. But yeah, Colin Firth goes all out with yeah. the uh, speech what? impediment. Oh, this is this is probably post-therapy, though. Sure. Okay. Yeah. It's, I but, remember... like, did he, but um, even in The Crown, um, I'm totally forgetting the guy who's also from Mad Men. Yeah, um, oh, uh, yeah. he oh, was also it, uh, has, Jared Harris. Jared Harris. Oh, maybe, that might maybe be. I've got it right. He Jared. has it, but it's very subtle. Right, but you can still like. He has a speech. I had a lot of trouble picking it up from mm -hmm. the king in this one, but mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. post therapy. I think you have to be um, careful with that because it could be like annoying for an audience to watch. Sure. You just need it there because a lot of people are going to watch it probably that right. haven't seen King's Speech. And be like, oh, what, what's wrong with this guy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ben Mendelsohn gave him a little bit of a lisp here and there, but that was <laughs> yeah. about it. Yeah, um, I'm choosing to believe this because it was post therapy, but also like <laughs> very, very effective. Very, yeah. I thought he was a good pick for that role. Though. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Really liked yeah. Him in that role. Adversarial, but still, yeah, respectful. Yeah, and I loved like the scene where he's like, "I hate this guy. Like, we're never gonna get along mm -hmm. and stuff." And you're like, "Wow, like, yeah." There's interpersonal drama even between the king and the prime minister. I, I love that part when he says um, at four o'clock or something like that. He's like, "Well, that's when I nap." <laughs> yes. He's like, yes. Do you think that's a good idea or whatever? He's like, "Well, is I have to." Is that required? No, but necessary or whatever. Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. So yeah, one thing we like to do on the show for listeners will remember is our uh, pairings. Mm -hmm. Um. Guys, what? Uh, John, would, would there any, are there any other movies that you would think would make like a good you know companion piece? Like if you watch this movie and you're kind of in the mood for more of the same or things that this movie reminds you of. I mean, you could pretty much watch this and watch Dunkirk. Definitely. Mm. You yeah. could cross-cut those movies yeah. almost. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, uh, I don't know. I, I told Kari, I said, I think The Crown, if you haven't seen that, mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. the first season, I think that's a fantastic way to see further 
along what Winston Churchill did, obviously post-war. Mm-hmm. Um, I Dunkirk is definitely on there. I mean, there was one other movie. I'm trying to remember it. I'm, I'm blanking. I, I think I, I'd have to agree that is The Crown Munich? is probably the best. Good. The Crown. Um, because yeah. it just, what it has in there is, it, to me, that's the only other time I feel like in, again, more recent times that I've been able to see a really good in-depth picture of Winston Churchill. You don't think it's going to cover him that much, but he is a He's massive a part of the first yeah. season. Like, he guides this new queen to... Hey, here's your role, dude. Like, right, and he's to... in a very different part of his career than yes. in in here. Like that's kind of the decline to this. We're seeing the rise in yeah. Darkest Hour. I would love to see a super cut of. I wouldn't sit through all of it at once, but <laughs> of King's Speech, Dunkirk, Darkest Hour, yes, uh, Crown season yes. one. Yes, like I want all of those just edited together in a in like chronological order, and then I can just watch all of it and see. Because you really do, you follow the arc of this whole moment through yeah. those mm-hmm. things. Yeah. I, I was thinking about that when I was watching it. I was like, in a way, this movie is a sequel to The King's Speech. Yeah, it, it really is. You know? And it's a prequel to The Crown. And yep. Dunkirk, like you said, going on concurrently. Like, yeah. I yeah. absolutely. All these coming out at the same time. It's so Ex- perfect. Yeah, exactly. That it's is, it, this yeah. interest. This interest in that like crisis period of Britain and like before and after. I'm I'm really fascinated by that. And it yeah, seems absolutely. like to an extent they use the same cinematographer for everything because everything's like it all looks the same. Yeah, <laughs> yes. that that would make it the perfect crosscut, like yeah. inner intercut. Uh, I think thing. it really would work. Totally. Speaking of like colors and stuff, I found another behind the scenes video. Sorry, I'm obsessed. Go. Um, where they talked Please. about the red light yeah. when he's recording. Yes. Oh, and how to bring up yes. intensity. And yes. Joe Wright says, "I did that to make it." Like, like he said, maybe it was to stage, mm-hmm. and I thought that was a really interesting perspective. Additionally, how they move through walls, yeah, it's like a play. Uh, yeah, moving through. Yeah. Yes, and he said that was kind of like his motivation was that like going through the wall when the guys like checking to the recording if uh-huh. it's on BBC uh-huh. and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And the red light was very stage oriented, which mm-hmm. I thought was a really cool perspective. But it yeah. brings up the intensity and yes, yes. Um, for myself, I mean, obviously Dunkirk, King Speech. Um, but uh, also, I, the main one that I was really reminded of was 13 Days, the movie about the Cuban Missile Crisis, mm. because I thought the situations and the way they were portrayed, very, very similar, mm-hmm. like ultra high stress, potentially the actual end of the world mm-hmm. situations in both cases, um, and that slow creeping dread of like the clock is ticking and they're getting closer, is that is also, you know, that is the shared story, and with like new controversial leaders having to handle these like incredibly high stress pressure cooker situations um yeah 13 days i haven't seen it in a long time i don't remember how good it is but i do remember that it was a very (laughs) it was very like a stressful movie and this and a movie about stress well i also told i also said to you that um hacksaw ridge right Mm -hmm. which is another movie another world war ii movie go figure um that's to me, it, it's a guy that goes through all this stuff and no one believes in him until the end. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the same thing that Winston Churchill had to go mm, through. Yeah. And that that was, oddly enough, the only movie, it, there's been those two movies in the last three years that I've watched and like pretty much the next day put it back on because I wanted to watch it again. Mm-hmm. And Hacksaw Ridge, it was just like this war movie that was had this really neat redeeming element to it mm-hmm. of this guy that like didn't take a gun into yeah. a nasty <laughs> situation. Yeah. Um, and then I... I when you brought up Bohemian Rhapsody, I'm like sitting there like, wow, that movie is actually very similar because this guy went through like basic training and all that and they were about to kick him out mm-hmm. of the military or, or court-martial him and yeah. then he somehow makes that one little spiel to the to the court-martial group and yep. then ends up doing what he wanted to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad you threw it to me there with Bohemian Rhapsody because again, not just out of recency, but because this was the 
subsequent Best Actor Oscar winner, mm -hmm. I think, and, and in both cases, actors who won Best Actor for portraying real-life, yeah. high-profile, big British flamboyant celebrities yeah. Um, yeah. in very different ways, and their situations were different, and the approach is very different. And I think that those differences are part of why I think it's worthwhile to like, look at these side by side because like ostensibly the job is the same, but the films themselves are very, very different. Like Whereas Bohemian Rhapsody covers a period of almost 20 years mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to 20 days. Right. Um, and also like lots of stylistic things. Like one of my, sorry folks, I did not love Bohemian Rhapsody, but uh, I had a I lot- I already ranted about Bohemian Rhapsody on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, in our Oscars mini episode. <laughs> um, Listen to that if you haven't. Um, but yeah, I, I, a lot of the things that I had issues with in terms of that film were that it didn't go far enough to show it in a show what was happening in a fresh and unique way. Mm -hmm. In the way that, and it might not have been as hard on it had I not just watched Darkest Hour, honestly, because Darkest Hour took this material, it took like a very, it took a what could have been a very dry film and really like. Um, spruced it up with some really impressive camera work and editing and staging, whereas Bohemian Rhapsody didn't really do that as consistently. There was definitely had its moments that were really good, really interesting, both from like a story standpoint and from like a visual artistic standpoint, but Darkest Hour did that more consistently and I thought more effectively. Mm -hmm. um, I almost want to see what the budget comparison is too. Ooh, yeah. Because you know Joe Wright was saying in that one thing, he said, well, I didn't have money to do more than two train shots. Yeah, oh, exactly. And so then Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, you like, didn't have money? The couple of clips I've watched where they mimic like the Live Aid concert mm -hmm. and there's all these like swooping camera moves. Yes. I'm like, come on, this is expensive. And then from just like, I mean, just not to go down this rabbit hole, but also <laughs> I find it interesting that like in last year's Oscars, the best actor. Uh, award goes to someone portraying a conservative icon, and in this year's Oscar, yeah. it went to uh, somebody portraying a liberal icon. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting the way that like the pendulum kind of swings in terms of public taste, in terms of award season decisions. Uh, I find I find that kind of interesting. Um, I wonder, like, maybe this is because I see him more as like you know I I don't follow the politics quite as much of the history, but. Um, is he even a cultural or a conservative icon anymore? Like he's just kind of, that's one of the things actually going to a broader level with this. Watching this movie was so interesting because I think it, from this perspective, you forget that these were decisions that had to be made. Like mm -hmm. these, we didn't always know how how terrible Hitler was and even that, like this is, you know, the, the victor's perspective. But um, we didn't, you know, there's some things that had to be, forecasted and decided and yeah. yeah there were people who said like no we could kill our entire this could be the end of britain if we don't make peace and now the idea of like making peace with hitler is laughable but like all of that it's it i feel like the history thinking of the history as being in the actual moment is kind of the fresh take that this movie brings because i don't think you think of Winston Churchill necessarily as a partisan figure anymore. Yeah. He's just the hero who brought yeah. England through World War II. I didn't realize he was so like disliked. Yeah. Right. Beforehand, yeah. like I, I didn't know that fact that they were like, we really we have to put him in mm -hmm. out of all people. I think that like you know at the time obviously he was a figure of partisan politics because that's what politics are. Right. But like in over the following like 50, 60, so years, I think that he kind of became one of those like apolitical, just like historical good guy characters. And 
I personally still kind of view him that way. However, I think that in the modern, in the last 10 to 15 years, people have kind of started to more, much more vocally see him as like a symbol of the old Britain, the, yeah. the myth of old of, of like Hail Britannia type mm -hmm. of like kind of a figure in much the same way that I think people today view Teddy Roosevelt as being like an almost cartoonish like Americana exactly yeah and I think that that and I think that there is a potential discussion there where like you know Winston Churchill was had his extremely liberal tendencies in some ways as did Teddy Roosevelt earned into reputation as the great progressive mm -hmm. but they still have kind of morphed now in the you know in the in the modern liberal sense into kind of being viewed as just like symbols of like a bygone era and associated with like their more controversial and less quote unquote woke positions mm -hmm. if you can even hold people from that era to that standard um which I'm not going to say you can't but it's like I think that that perspective on people like Churchill has 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 changed in that way mm -hmm. recently so, yeah, I don't know. That, that's the reason why I called him kind of a conservative icon, because yeah. I think that that is, like, the way he's... The, the, he's viewed more heroically, I think, today by people of a more old-fashioned mindset. Yeah, I would have more to commonly. agree with that, too. Just because his, his perspective was, you know, we're going to win. Yes. Like, we are going to get past all of this one way or another. Yeah. Well, I, I don't even know that, that he was saying that in the movie. It was like, we're going to win or we're going to die. Yeah. And, well, like, yeah. true, true, 50, true. Yes. 50, yeah. this, That's one, like... Well, well, I, I love mean, the part where he says, too, like, if, if our island falls, then our navy is coming. Right. And then every island that we've taken, you know, in, like, under our imperial mm -hmm. perspective right. is going to come over here after yes, that. Exactly. And they will mm -hmm. just keep running at it until it's over. Yeah, right. and, and that's something that I, I was reading about in terms of, like, the historical criticism because... I was bi I was really bad on um, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody being historically inaccurate and changing history around. This movie is also very historically inaccurate sure. and changes a lot of things <laughs> around. Um, partly, they completely ignore the fact, like, well, not completely ignore, but John, as you just mentioned, like, they don't make as big a deal about the fact that, like, at this point, Britain still had a full empire, the strongest navy in the world, yeah. and they were on an island. Like, yeah. all like the likelihood of England being actually completely taken over by the Germans quite low mm -hmm. um but just like the, the idea of not even being conquered by hitler but just being conquered period it was such a yeah. you know such a, a a huge part in this story that i think that was just a I don't know, perhaps perhaps overblown, but I think that mm -hmm. it reflected the attitude of the people in England at the time. It would be interesting to know how, I mean, because obviously it's unprecedented. I mean, even World War One, there was a line, right? right mm -hmm. yeah. There was a line at which they fought that went across Europe. This was like, I mean, uh, what's his name? Um, Hitler? No, oh. no, the guy that, <laughs> no, the guy says uh, in the movie, and I'm forgetting his name, his um, chief adversary or whatever. Albert? Halifax, oh, oh, yes. Halifax says, yeah, he's standing, yeah, <laughs> he's standing, in the, he's sitting in the back of the he's room, and the he says something like, "We can still get Europe," and he says, "Europe has fallen," and everyone like, yeah. stops, and like again, there's some really great framing in there, um, camera framing, but he he says it's fallen, and I think just the fact that it's so unprecedented, I guess they were trying to highlight the fact that it's, we do have a navy and everything like that, right. but we don't know how to stop this. No, guy. It's, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Interesting. And um, they had a conversation, a small conversation, but it was something I had never really considered before. Um, even being kind of a World War II history buff, like they talk at one point in the movie about how um, once the Germans reach the sea, they can stop building tanks and focus exclusively on building airplanes. I was like, oh man, I never even thought about yeah. that logistical element of it. Yeah. And it's true. I mean, it's like it, at that point, it just became, I mean, we 
we know like what happened after the scope of this movie, which is that like yeah, Dunkirk was evacuated, but then the Battle of Britain starts, and then you've got basically constant air raids on England for the next four years, right. five years. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I think it was like I don't know if it was Imitation Game or what movie it was talked about when they started figuring out that Germany was building everything that they were building, mm-hmm. and they were disguising it as they weren't because they were, uh, I guess they were the rules since World War One, like right. the Pax yes. and whatnot, yeah. oversight to make sure they weren't building military weapons. And they started figuring out, well, they're buying like Rolls-Royce engines yes. at one purchase, and then they're doing something else over here, mm-hmm. and they had some spy or whatever saw that they were combining those two purchases right. and airplanes, yeah. and it's like, they were just stocking up the whole time. Yeah, that's yeah. a fascinating history about, like, I think what they called was like the Black Army or something like that. It was like this super secret operation to rebuild Germany's army when they were yeah. still under international law prohibited from raising an army, yeah. and they did it on, they built the biggest army in the history of the planet secretly. Mm-hmm. That is insane to me. Um, but that's that's a whole different podcast, I think. <laughs> um, well, that's it's so interesting to me. I'm I'm not as deep in the history, I will say yet again, as you guys are. But I I went through my my World War II history buff phase. I read a lot of books as a kid, like elementary school time. A lot of like American historical fiction of like you know number the stars type stuff. Like I got really deep into that for a while and. It's interesting to me, especially it seems like in the last five years or so with The Crown, King's Speech, all the ones that we've mentioned, yeah. mm-hmm. um, I'm sure there's a constant stream since World War II of World War II culture pieces. But it does seem like we this very specific kind of window of time of World War II is being remade and mm-hmm. retold very frequently right now. And it is something that I think a lot of people just have that that moment, at least, where they're very interested in this and I wonder like why is this such a captivating part of history and why specifically right now I feel like it's for so long in American media at least or the media that Americans have been consuming it's been very America centric Mm -hmm. that like you know if you were just going by the movies America won World War II by itself with one hand tied behind his back (laughs) and I think that now it's gotten to the point where like I think that there are as to why right now, I'm not sure, but um, I definitely think that it's a case of like a lot of British, um, well, a lot of American studios, but also British filmmakers are kind of taking this opportunity to like kind of give the additional perspective of like, no, Britain was right there and they had so much more to lose and mm-hmm. this is what their situation was. Um, I would say to kind of add on to the yeah. American mm-hmm. aspect of it too is like socially, we're just in a different place. And that was what we consider our greatest generation, was mm-hmm. what that whole period. And that has dominated from the American side. Like, we we're always talking yeah. about Iwo Jima. Like, yeah. that, the Pacific side is very, like, it's covered in some old movies and stuff like that, but it doesn't really play back mm-hmm. well nowadays. Mm-hmm. Like, how brutal it was and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, you have, like, the Clint Eastwood made a movie, right. but that kind of fell off the radar. Hacksaw Ridge was, like, a yeah. very small piece. HBO is the Pacific, I think, does a really good job of portraying it, yeah, this. Yeah, but, yeah, it does. And then, and, you know, Band of Brothers, along yep. with that, mm-hmm. does a great job on the other side. But you don't hear, you haven't seen as much of the British, mm-hmm. like, what was going on on the ground of the, you know, with that. And I think, you know, Dunkirk and this came out simultaneously yeah. almost. So it's like... We don't. We haven't had that much of a perspective, and I think it's done well now, or it's it's picking up because a a lot of these guys that were lived it are gone, yeah, mm-hmm. and they're continuously going away, yeah. And then we look at that generation with so much admiration, and we see now where we are. It's like, well, what if that happened now? I mean, that's what I look at. Is like, how would we overcome that situation? Yeah. 
by today's standards right. because that was just so inspiring and yeah. so crazy how these guys, I mean, when Pearl Harbor happened, like you had guys at 16 years old signing up and, yeah. you know, jumping in, jumping out of airplanes. So it, to me, it, I think that's part of it is you have a lot of these old timers and stuff like even, even like the next generation that came right after the baby boomers mm -hmm. still appreciate their fathers or, you know, whoever was a part mm -hmm. of that. So, And I think that like also, I, again, not to get political because I don't think this slants in any political direction, but I think that in the, in the deck, in the couple of decades after World War II, they were being, it was still like a very much an attitude of like, yeah, we did it. We did it. Like, mm -hmm. and it, when I say we, I'm speaking from the perspective of like the people who in many cases actually were like in the American military making mm -hmm. American movies about America's involvement in the war. And then like in recent years, I think that there was still kind of like that, you know, 9-11 Pearl Harbor connection that kind of reinvigorated yeah. like that kind of like American spirit of like recovery and things like that yeah. and like coming back and like making the comeback. And I think that nowadays, I think that in a lot of ways there are people who are tapping into the concerns about like kind of the dread of like the potential direction of the world turning. Mm -hmm. And I think that Britain was in much more of that position because they were so close to mainland Europe when the Germans yeah. were taking over that I think that there are more people today connecting with that story than there probably were 20 or 30, 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we love seeing our flag everywhere. Yeah. Like, right. We love the victories. <laughs> we, we do. I mean, yeah. I, I will never forget the image after 9-11 when our flag was like, uh, it was like in San Francisco and there was like a row, this endless row of mm -hmm. houses or townhomes mm -hmm. and it was just the American flag. Now it was like, yeah. a, po it was like a picture on like a popular magazine and how that like, you know, that inspired patriotism. Mm -hmm. And I think that, again, this is, we look back at sort of nostalgia and it's like, that was yeah. like as patriotic as it gets. And mm -hmm. anybody who knows me knows that I love those like, you know, really bellicose, dirty dozen, like, yeah. like, those as well as like the flag waving band of brothers saying Private Ryan kind of thing. Like they're very different types of movies, but I love them both. I'm really into those. Yeah, America's the best. Kick in the door, gung ho, guns blazing. I love those movies. I think they're great. But I also am really intrigued by Kari, what you just brought up, the fact that there are so many more movies these days that are kind of giving the broader perspective yes. outside of like just the American like patriotic or uh, you know gung ho type of type of uh, story. Mm -hmm. And maybe we are kind of, maybe that is the wave right now. If I, It does seem like it may not be totally true that we are making more World War II, you know, books, movies, whatever, cultural pieces in general, um, than ever before because there, I think it's been a constant source of stories since it happened. But it, maybe that is exactly where we're at of like, okay, so we've had the like, greatest generation oh my gosh this was amazing we did it we killed mm -hmm. evil like we were right and especially americans but now we are opening up to like okay but what what were the decisions that happened here what was the we didn't always know that we were right and mm -hmm. that this was the right move how do yeah. we explore that a little bit more yeah exactly like what led up to that decision that turned out to be the right decision like mm -hmm. what was the controversy before then when people didn't know what the right decision was going to be i'm intrigued by that i never really thought about it before i started seeing these stories come up and i mean king's speech was less like that this movie was much more explicitly about like what controversy surrounds making the right decision because nobody knows what the right decision is until you make it right. when there are stakes this high. Even the King's Speech, I think if looking at it as like we're kind of in a period of storytelling where the theme is 
history is not fate. Like, mm -hmm. even the King's speech, I think, has that yes. of, like, yeah, he had decisions to make. It was not always clear that he was going to be a good king. And now, I mean, not being British, which I felt very aware of watching stuff like this, where I'm like, there's a whole kind of cultural cash that I don't yeah. have to pull from watching these things. These are all pretty fresh for me. Whereas, you know, if you're British, you grew up in British schools, you probably, this is George Washington for you. You know, like, yeah, we get it. We know yeah. who he was. Um, well, to your point of like history repeating itself, I think Winston Churchill said something along the lines of like, if you find yourself walking through hell, keep walking. Yeah, mm. exactly. Because it, it'll get better. Like everything, you know what I mean? And yeah. to me, yeah. That's the worst thing like, you can do is stand still. Yeah. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Just keep moving. Yeah, exactly. Time is a flat circle. Wait, that's your objective. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa. Never mind. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I yeah maybe that is the kind of common denominator between a lot of this is that like l evaluating the different ways history could have gone instead of just looking at it as like, yep, we were right. Mm -hmm. We always were, knew we were right. We did it. We're still right today. Mm -hmm. So, I have a, can I ask a question, please? No, for absolutely. Not. Okay, fine. No, <laughs> for you, for for y'all, I have mm -hmm. two. What was like technically? What did you enjoy? I know we've talked Ooh. a little bit about Actually, camera. Actually, yes, I yeah, I did want to go back. To so this. yeah, go to that, and then I have a follow up question oh. that's separate. So yeah, you mentioning you know being an editor and looking at it that yeah. way. Um, there were some as actually as you were talking specifically about the kind of it's an old. I mean, obviously it's a period piece. There's some things that kind of evoke that kind of old sense, but then the editing is kind of modern. I speed ramps were what I noticed. There was a couple places where they used speed ramps in a way that felt very modern. And I think that's part of, at least what I picked up on of what you're talking about. You're that talking about the slow motion, like car ride point of view shots? That, but then there were also moments where they would just speed through, like a small speed through like him moving. I wish I could remember the exact moment, but I remember <laughs> thinking like, oh, that was kind of weird to, cause I don't feel like you see speed ramps frequently in films. Speed mm -hmm. ramps being like, you know, where you, Kind of, I don't know how to explain it better speed than what up, it is. Speed up, slow down? Yeah, you like you watch something at either true speed or a little slower, and then speed up, and then mm -hmm. come back to true speed or slower. But yeah, they, that feels, I mean, in what we do, a yeah. lot of like, you know, sizzle, making things look cool and fun, that I feel like is a very common trick because it, it does make things feel like they're moving faster and they're more exciting and more energetic. Um, so you don't see it in film a lot, and right. especially for something like this. A period piece. It. Yeah. It's very much like a trailer technique, and yeah. I thought yeah. that there were like a few It's a kind sizzle. Of, yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a sizzle of history. Mm. Uh, really, they're just really making it pop. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, just in general, I mean, the efficiency and focus in telling a true story can be difficult. Uh, like I mentioned before, a lot of times the his, these historical dramas that are trying to tell like a true story or a version of a true story get too bogged down in details. Mm -hmm. They get bogged down in details and then also change other details. So it's like you really don't know what to believe mm -hmm. anymore, even when most of the time they're kind of irrelevant. So I thought that was really impressive from just the storytelling standpoint. But also, there were quite frequently really uh, ostentatious shots that really called mm -hmm. a lot of attention to themselves. But I thought that they did an amazing job of like conveying the story. Like, there was the repeated overhead shot of, mm. I believe it was either Calais or Dunkirk, with, like, the road and the craters. And, like, you saw the same overhead shot multiple times with airplanes flying over at different right. stages. And then it, like, transitions to the guy's eye yes, at one point. Yes, exactly. Like, that was 
Ooh, that was yeah, um, lots of there was that one really cool like pullback shot of General. I think it was General Nicholson at Calais when he received the order to basically like oh. state, like mm -hmm. basically like you're gonna die. We're not yeah, coming for you. Stand in, yeah, stand yeah. and fight and um, fight to the last man, which historically is generally portrayed in a negative light, even though here it was portrayed as just like a tragic necess necessity. Um, but that pullback through like the bunker that he was in with like the arches mm -hmm. as he's walking and then just does like a 90 degree vertical turn and pulls straight up through a hole in the roof right before the bombers come in and just obliterate the place. That was a really good shot. Mm. Um, but my favorite, I think, my favorites were the progressively smaller boxes that Churchill was framed in over the course of like the first half of the movie. Oh. As the situation is getting more and more intense and he's running out of options, af like at the end of his phone call with... Franklin Roosevelt, he's shown in a, what looks like a doorway, but I think it was just like the shape of the room that he was in with just a very little light. So he's got black on the right third and the left third of the frame. Mm -hmm. and so he's boxed in there in basically like a vertical framing. And then a couple of minutes later, after he has a very heated discussion with Stannis Baratheon, the door shuts. The door <laughs> a shuts. A crossover history yeah. here. <laughs> the door shuts. I may have watched this really late at night. Um, <laughs> The door shuts and there's like a little square window that you barely can see his face through it and it's just black surrounding him. Mm. So it goes from a rectangular box to a tiny square box. And I thought that that was like basically the, the metaphorical noose tightening on mm. him in this situation where it's not only, you know, not, let alone the fact that like the British Empire could fall in a matter of days at the pace things have been going. But he might also lose his job, which is like, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty bad, right. too. Or he'll be the one who goes down in history as, like, yeah. completely destroying the empire. Exactly. That's interesting. I hadn't noticed the the use of the smaller boxes. I did notice the, the harsh light, though, and yeah. sometimes the harsh light using it to effectively crop a shot. Definitely, yeah. But in even regular scene, a lot of the parliament scenes, the, the light is so, like, it's completely overblown in some shots, and, like... You have it, I just felt very aware of the light in most of the movie because it is extreme. Like there's no, yes. there's no pretty soft, even lighting. There is like, there's it's very you know, harsh, yeah. harsh morning light streaming through windows. There's mm -hmm. short panels of lights within closets and within this like bunker area they were. I didn't yeah, fully yeah. understand what the heck was going it was on a with bit like, bunker, yeah. why did they go it's to It's like their military headquarters. Oh, okay. because they were worried about bombing. bombing they, yeah. were, they were just, okay. They were, were they staying there? Were they? No. I, I mean, I think they kind of set up. That's just up, where like, they were meeting. That was where the we're going to operate. Okay. You know? That was like the pen, that was like the temporary Pentagon. Yeah. Basically. Oh, okay. Like if you visualize it as like the Pentagon, and if like, anything were to happen, they were good. Yeah, they were exactly. Able to function, gotcha. Because okay. I think that at that point, like the Blitz in England hadn't really started yet. Like they hadn't started to be bombed yet, but it was very. They knew what was going to happen because mm -hmm. the Germans had such a strong yeah. air force, which they had used in like the rest of Europe. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Um, gotcha. But also like if while we're talking about technique, uh, technical stuff, um, just from like the acting technique, I thought that Gary Oldman's w ability to kind of portray because I think that when most people picture um, Winston Churchill, like probably there's a very small range of emotions that come to mind: either contempt, anger, or Childish indifference, probably are the three one, mm -hmm. the emotions that are most closely associated with Churchill. But to show him in moments of like privately freaking the fuck out, mm -hmm. like on the phone with Franklin Roosevelt and getting nothing but like evasive answers oh. about like the airplanes. And then when he says the thing about like, well, like sending a team of horses to pick up the airplanes, <laughs> right. and yeah. he's like, and you can see on Oldman's face that he's just like, this isn't gonna work. I guess. This is not, this it's is. 
it's always impressive with a scene like that where they take the time mm-hmm. to have mm-hmm. pauses. Because they could easily like speed that process up. Like, oh, that's not going to work. But they, they left it sitting there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it still felt like, oh, this poor dude is yeah. like, struggling it was, with this. It was almost comical to see like that kind of awkward conversation between two massively powerful world leaders. Like in, yeah. but in a dark way, obviously, because it almost felt like it was, it almost felt like it could have been like, if it was framed differently, it could have been like a comedy sketch almost of like, what do these people talk about when it's just that, like it's mm-hmm. Dr. Strangelove, right? Like what, like what, are the, what does the president and the premier of Russia talk about on the phone? Yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, the, the way that he progressively was get you could see him like grasping at any amount of hope on the phone call. Like even the yeah. moment where he says like, we, we bought those airplanes with the money we borrowed from you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That was uh, kind of hilarious, good. but, yeah. Um, but I yeah. Would, I would have to agree with you guys, though. Like, the framing is gorgeous. They had, like, the... I noticed, like, a couple shots in the bunker of Winston Churchill, to your point, where there's no one else in the frame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'll yeah. be a wide frame on him, but everyone is, like, pushed away. Mm-hmm. And then they'll cut to... Um, God, what's the adversary guy? Uh, Halifax. Halifax. They'll cut to Halifax, and they'll just flip the camera at, like, 180 to show your adversaries. Like, stuff like that yeah. is mm-hmm. beautifully mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's, it's amazing, but my favorite has to be the in-the-car shots. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then they, like, at the beginning, and then, what, three quarters through? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. how it one, yeah. he's he's one way talking about, you know, he's flipping his lighter, and he's talking about the egg. And then, after, especially after watching that yes. Joe Wright breakdown and how he then it was like, wow, this is what this really means. Because when I, I remember watching it, I'm like, that's a really long take. Yeah. Mm. see all these people, and you're not getting a ton of information except for, look at this preparation. Now I look at it like, wow. So now you look at both of those as like sort of a juxtaposition, and it's like, here, here he is out of touch with society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here he is now becoming in touch with yeah. society and what mm-hmm. they want. Um, which, by the way, that whole subway sequence, or the, the underground sequence, complete fabrication. Yes. Never happened. Yes. Okay, <laughs> which I thought was true. hilarious. <laughs> yes. That was but. one of those moments where I was like, Okay, this is yep. that was just, a nice yeah. illustration it of was him not, becoming, but like, okay. I, I thought it was great. I mean, that's the thing is like, I love that in movies sometimes, like, you know, I, it, it's a very delicate thing to completely make something up in a story about it, in a true story, to mm-hmm. completely make something up that the entire film hinges on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when it works, I'm fine with it. <laughs> it was Sally like, in the train decides to it go was to like, war. It was, and he like yeah. read their names, yeah. I was kind of like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, no, I, I mean, I, I, I really did enjoy that sequence though, and I, because I thought it had a lot of emotional weight, and I thought that mm-hmm. that was like kind of a, it was a great way to show, like, it, it, to dramatize the idea that like he was trying to put himself in the position of the public mm-hmm. to try to make a decision that was going to be like if he was representing the people, yeah. trying to consider what do the people actually want, right? Which I think at, we as the audience also didn't have another good way to see that either. Like we had only gotten a certain point of view of this moment, and even you know, even if his typist is supposed to be kind of that proxy for the normal people, she's still his employee. She's still like she's not a good you know representative for them. She's biased, so. I think we needed something to tell us, like, okay, what do the people actually think? Yeah, like, right, these yeah. people don't like him. They see another option. But do they, like, what, what are the, where are the people falling in all of this? You know what that scene kind of reminds me of, like, the scene on the subway? It mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of that moment at the end of A Wonderful Life where um, George Bailey finds out that the entire town really was behind him and, like, supported <laughs> him. And I was like, because it was, like, that moment where it's, like, it's that supreme validation for, like, the central character who has doubts that are getting worse and worse and worse as the story goes on until he gets to that moment where he's like, oh, my God, I... 
this is I yeah. the, the they they do like me. This is good. This <laughs> yeah. is really good. Um, so yeah, I, I I thought that that was a really effective scene, even though it was completely BS and made up, um, <laughs> which is fine. Yeah, there was oh there was one other thing that I had to like oh shoot what was it I don't remember oh oh biopics in general especially when they are or whatever you know we want to call this nuanced genre um, especially when they're of people who are very thoroughly quoted mm-hmm. it, sometimes it feels a little like okay what a, what of this is like a quote that we're fitting in here like sometimes they <laughs> yeah. speak in like witticisms that I'm like okay that's like a quote that we have written down from Winston Churchill somewhere and exactly we're gonna yeah. like yeah we should all be ruling when we're young men and the sinews are strong I was like yep that's in a book somewhere and as a, as a person who is widely quoted and is kind of known as like a great writer as a great speech deliverer mm-hmm. um the moment where like he's trying to spit out like there's a meeting at 3 p.m. 3 p.m. three it's it's 3 p- 3 p.m. <laughs> I was like he's gone stress dumb. That's oh, amazing. Yeah. Like yeah. I, it's like one of, the, one of those moments where the simplest thing you can't even get out of your mouth. And mm-hmm. I was like that that was a an excellent choice I thought in yeah. in expressing yeah. that um, and a great counterpoint to a, a great you know counter to his reputation as a great orator mm-hmm. yeah. um, he, he, and you think too like again back to the frail like a lot mm-hmm. of times he's talking and he sounds like dude this guy's gonna kill over yeah yes. like, how is he gonna deal with this even when he he meets with the king and the, the, they kind of have that moment together oh. you're thinking that he oh. is done like he is gone but everything you always hear since that time is like mm-hmm. he was he was the guy yep. right. he was the guy we needed that's what I thought was interesting about Gary Oldman, especially watching it so soon after the John Lithgow. Like, I felt like I saw much more of the Winnie the Pooh out of Gary Oldman and much more of the Bulldog out of John Lithgow. And that's like, you know, the two sides of his personality that are well remembered. Mm-hmm. And they both obviously had moments of both, but I, I definitely got much more of that kind of like, you, you sit in a room with this guy and you're like, what is he saying? Like, yeah. what? Whereas John Lithgow, I think, tapped much more into the like blustery like oh okay I don't want this guy mad at me like the whole thing the king was saying about like people are scared of you and (laughs) I think we got the perspective that maybe Winston Churchill had of like what like why would people be scared of me Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm doing whereas John Lithgow I think we're seeing him more from the outside of like okay yeah I see why people are scared of him it's always interesting to see how like real life figures are portrayed differently in different movies Mm -hmm. or TV shows or whatever because like I have the same same, your reaction to seeing Churchill's portrayals in The Crown and Darkest Hour was kind of my reaction to seeing the portrayals of the king in The Mm. King's Speech and Darkest Hour Mm -hmm. because it was the same you know again the same case of like the same person but the choices they make in the portrayal I think are interesting and I think that finding like somewhere in the middle is probably where the real person was. You yeah, know? yeah. Where, like, the, the crown is also, like, a really great take on the king, too. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, he's, yeah. He's not in there for very long because of the time. Yes. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's also another way to look at him because I, I don't know much about him. I haven't seen King's Speech, but I didn't mm-hmm. know a ton. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I was also going to ask the second part. Yeah. What did you not like? Oh. I'm curious. I didn't like that they so brazenly changed like major and important parts of of the real history like that is eternally going to be the thing that I don't like about historical fiction when like major events in the story have to be fabricated Mm -hmm. I often I I, I often think that like if you have to if you're going to if you say that this true story is worthy of telling Mm -hmm. and you have to change huge parts of it to make the story work the changing elements of it, I understand, but to make the story work at all as a story, it's like I don't know. I feel like that's you're really stretching credibility. 
Which moments did you like really feel that in as you were watching? As I was watching, none, because I didn't research the real story ahead of time. But then afterward, I kind of got a little pissed off when I found out that subway thing didn't happen. I was yeah. like, well, that was like oh. the turning point of the entire story. <laughs> and you just, you made up the turning point. Yeah. It's like if you made a story of Pearl Harbor and suddenly the Germans torpedoed the Navy and right. it's like, as like the turning point, it's like, no, that didn't, that's not the way it happened. I don't know. It's like, that's the total bullshit. I don't know. That, that was, that was probably my biggest gripe personally. Gotcha. That moment just felt a little like, okay. Yeah, it was definitely <laughs> sure a cheesy spot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, the, the quotability, I, it's the same kind of problem with the genre, but that sometimes, especially at the beginning, I was kind of like, as we're getting into his character, I was kind of like, all right, what of this is just like quotes that are remembered of him and what are actual like lines that they wrote to illustrate his character and stuff. Um, let me see. I um, what didn't I? There's not anything like that threw me out of the movie. Sometimes I do like if I start to get the feeling of like that Oscar, like the the tryhardiness. Sometimes I'm like, mm. okay, I get it. I think the some of the choices, like the um, that aerial shot you're talking, that like kind of pull out yes. and the ninety degree change. I thought that was really great until he looked up at the camera and I was kind of like, okay, we got it. We got it two yeah, seconds before that moment. Um, so it, no, I mean, some minor things that I thought just like were a little bit in its own head, in its own importance, but you know, it's, it's, it's the genre. You can't, yeah. I don't think you can really Since do we it. Without all brought this. it up. The, basically the yeah. bomb drop is, yeah, the one thing that took me completely out of the movie. Interesting. Uh -huh. okay. the, so I get the pull up uh -huh. away from the character. I get going through the ceiling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Doesn't need to be as long. But I get the planes flying. I can mm -hmm. deal with that. But when I think, does, is it Winston closes his eyes and reopens them or something like that? And then the bomb drops. Like there's a weird like something like cut. I believe oh. that's. I and believe I was that like, was it, yeah. that is so unnecessary. Yeah. Like, that was just yeah. so much extra. We get it. The bombers are flying over it. Mm -hmm. Like next voice audio yeah. beep is like they're gone. Okay, uh -huh. cool. Because we've already seen the planes drop by then. Mm -hmm. um, like over the road right. that he was flying over. Mm -hmm. Right. Because we didn't need to know that it happened in that moment. Like it's yeah. a little too convenient. It was to be a little like, on the nose. Like okay, Winston's not going to save us. We're literally dying right now. But like, to me, it just didn't fit. And there's something yeah. with aerials in this movie. Like the the freaking movie yeah. opens yeah. doesn't yeah. It with an aerial shot. <laughs> like it starts off high and comes down into yeah, the, yeah. their problem. Yep. Shots. So there's some weird thing with that, but I just thought that that one, that one thing, I mean, specifically like mm -hmm. frustrated the hell out of me because I just didn't get why. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, I think there's so many redeeming qualities that it didn't hurt the movie. You know, I didn't catch on to the lighter being necessarily the changing point in the character. Yeah. I caught on to the egg. How he says, remember in the first car ride, he's well, like, yeah, I, I didn't, I've never, I don't know how to cook an egg. Mm -hmm. And he's looking at all the common folks yes, outside yeah. the window. And, and I thought that was like the, the set, that was a great setup yeah. that revealed a lot about his character. Yeah. And then when the second car ride sequence happens, when he gets out and eventually like gets onto the, the underground and is talking to people, even though it was made up, I still thought it was an effective scene. I still mm -hmm. thought that it was like well motivated mm -hmm. in the story. Like fake is fine. It was well motivated, which is which it, it made sense. He didn't just randomly out of nowhere decide today's the day I'm gonna learn how to be a common person. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm gonna learn how to ride the underground and borrow a lighter from somebody. Um, 
I thought it was it it fit well. It played out well. The thing that irritated me was that it was completely made up. <laughs> yeah. Um. But whatever. It's, yeah. it's fine. I and I think it was. That, oh, go ahead. I'd have to say the only other thing I didn't like is that there wasn't a little bit more of like outside of his the, the intense focus yeah. of what he was mm-hmm. dealing with. I wanted just like a little bit more of him in his home element in his yes. home life mm. to see him in his in the wife's dynamic. You saw glimpses of it here mm-hmm. and there, but I still couldn't feel like I'd put it together. I mean, there's often a thing like with movies, you have to get the audience to sympathize with your lead. If you want them to believe in the story and believe in the character, they have to sympathize. And the first thing we start out with is he's a jerk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that so that obviously polarizes your audience. You feel for the girl yeah. immediately, right? So that was an interesting way to get closer to him was basically through the eyes of this girl. Of course, yeah. But it's still like, I, you know, maybe that's just me being a history guy. It's like I wanted to see more of his, him going through the motions, yeah. maybe outside of the bunker. Mm-hmm. You know what I just realized, actually, mm-hmm. is that another movie that this would pair well with would be um, Downfall. Do you guys see, ever see that one? The one about, I haven't like, seen it. I mean, obviously okay. I've seen all the memes. No. Came out about 10 years ago. It's, you know, about Hitler's last days mm-hmm. in the bunker. Oh. Um, it's an excellent movie, although a real bummer, obviously. <laughs> um, but like, Don't tell me how it ends. In terms of... Uh, <laughs> In terms of like storytelling, like one of the things that I thought was really effective about it is like throughout because this movie essentially just takes place in this bunker in Berlin where Hitler is basically like delaying the inevitable. And mm-hmm. um, but throughout the movie, it cuts to like there's this group of like Hitler youth kids that are like outside the bunker, and periodically in the movie, it'll just cut to like what's going on upstairs, what's mm-hmm. going on on street level with the people that are left in this hellhole of the city that is about to be obliterated by the Russians, like. And I thought that this movie had those glimpses into the common people's world um, of just the general public, either through Lily James or through an imaginary subway ride. Um, but it didn't really have that consistent, like, yeah. you don't get the tone. I, I feel like that could have been fit in here, although it would have kind of spoiled the payoff of having like him finally get that validation from the public. Mm-hmm. But I still feel like it would have, it could have shed a little bit more light into... And this is something that's endemic in like any kind of very high level leadership right. story. It's like you don't really see what's happening outside the war room. Mm-hmm. Right. To your point, John. Like both in their personal life, but in the personal lives of the people who are being affected by this person's decision making. Um, it's like yeah. you only had two glimpses. That was the two car rides and, yeah. the, and then you had the train. Pretty much, mm-hmm. yeah. It was like the only full on thing. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and maybe that is like something you would fill in the blanks if you were British. But yeah, I agree. I wish... I wish there had been another way to do that besides just having him have this one scene where yeah. he's like, the people love it. They all yeah. say yes. Great. Like, now I know them. Because we're far enough removed nowadays that the common people of England are just as alien to us as Winston Churchill or anybody else at that time mm-hmm. period. It's like we're separated by such a vast period of time right now that, like, to get context on how he was viewed at the time, we need more of, like, mm-hmm. what yeah. the people in you know, upstairs or the people in town or whatever we're thinking and feeling. Yeah, even the outside perspective we're getting on him is, you know, his peers. Of course. The king. Yeah. yeah, I don't care what Stannis the Manus thinks about Winston (laughs) Churchill. Like, (laughs) Stannis the Manus. Uh, We've missed Game of Thrones around here. (laughs) Hey, Um, did you notice that the BBC reporter in the room with the red light uh is the, like, main butler guy from The Crown? Yes, from The Crown. Is he also in Game of Thrones, though? I know him from something else. I remember watching him in The Crown and being like, I know this guy. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he's in Game of Thrones. He, he should be. He's we established earlier today that there's only about a dozen British <laughs> yeah. actors, and they have They're to be in, in everything. everything. Yep. Um, there's oh, never mind. I've been. I also watched Rome not long ago, and um, uh, Cicero is in 
Never mind. He's the <laughs> like the naval, the admiral or something that he okay. calls and is like, we need to get all the ships. We yeah, need I love how they like, picked the name for Dynamo, by the way. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The fan. They look at the fan. That also felt like a very biopic <laughs> moment. Like, I well. would have loved it if he had said, like, we need a name, a name for this operation. Operation Desk Fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, no, that's terrible. Much so this is for best comedy. Uh, <laughs> um, um, any other yeah. points you guys want to bring up? Anything else? I think we covered it. Yeah. Nice. I know John could talk about this for I hours. I think he's going. So. He probably will, folks. You get him for an hour, we get him forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I just genuinely like it's such a great um, layered film, um, and it took again. Sometimes it takes like a couple watches to like really see some of the details. Some things we'll never notice or mm. never know if they're on purpose. And a lot of like the common mistake is thinking that a lot of things in Hollywood are are you know mistakes. And they're typically on purpose. Mm-hmm. I mean, having that girl in the light in the yes. elevator, mm-hmm. you know, having them bounce. Like, these are things we don't <gasps> so notice. Great. Like, those are such good tricks. Mm-hmm. And you don't notice them until they, the guy says it. But um, I just think this is a such an interesting piece. And it's got so many layers that it's really pretty cool. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that, you know, as if I, 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 I really did need another reminder that Joe Wright is, like, probably one of our best yeah. working directors these days. And, like... The skill with which he was able to wrangle such a huge personality into such a compressed period of time and just made it all made it all tick. I, he, I was really fascinated by it. He made a point too. He said, "This was my return to drama because he's mm. taken he did some other stuff and said this is back to atonement. This is back to that world of of drama." I can't remember what all the films were in between, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, he did. Um, he felt like this was back to his roots, like yeah. what he strived that it shows on screen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, his previous, uh, he did that Peter Pan movie that nobody watched. Oh, um, Pan? Wow. the Hugh Jackman one? Uh, I believe so, yeah, Pan with wow, uh, yep, yep, Hugh yep. Jackman, yeah. Oh, Pan um, crossover with Wolverine. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, I also did not realize that he did uh, the movie Hannah, uh, that movie that is oh. now a, uh, a an Amazon Prime original oh, show, right. I believe. He did um, an episode of Black Mirror too. That's kind of cool. Oh, he did the one, the like social where you like upvote people and oh, downvote them. Oh yeah, the with, Meow Meow uh, Beans episode. Yeah. No wait. Nosedive. No, it's the one. Yeah, yeah is with, that Bryce, the Dow- with Bry- I, Bryce Dallas. Bryce Dallas. I call it the Meow Meow Beans episode because it was exactly like an episode of Community. Oh. And the social media app right, in Community okay. was Meow Meow Beans. Yeah. <laughs> but Community did it first and probably better. Anyway, yeah, whatever. Show, right? But yes, yeah. this was a gr- that was a great episode. One of the mm-hmm. best episodes of the series. Um. Yes, so Joe Wright, a name that you may not know, but you should. Yes. Um, The fact that we've now covered two of his movies is not evidence of that enough. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Kari, how about your final thoughts? Anything uh, Um, I'm glad. This is totally exactly like Kyle said earlier. This is one that I easily could have missed, even though I know, like, this is a movie I should watch. It seemed good. Whatever. It's got all the credentials for being a great movie, but I'm glad I, I had the you know, the push to watch it. It was, it was good. I really enjoyed it. It's a long campaign. Yeah, I mean, this is, and and folks, this is like really, again, an important reminder of like why we, part of the reason why we we wanted to go with this format for this podcast in the first place is like, these are movies that we want people to recommend movies to each other. Yeah. We want people to recommend movies to us that we haven't seen. We We want to get out of our movie bubble. There's just some movies that I see that I'm like, like the the dark morose color scheme thing you're saying is so on point. I haven't watched almost any of the new DC mm-hmm. movies because of that reasoning. Yeah, exactly. Color yeah. scheme. Um, but yeah, folks, just like you know, when you're out there in the world, just like recommend movies to people. Like yeah. when people recommend movies to you, watch them because they're probably pretty good. And yeah, if they're terrible, now you've got a story about a terrible movie you had to watch. 
Those could be even more fun to talk about. Absolutely. So, yes. Um, but, yeah, John, thank you so much for bringing yes. this movie to the table. Thank, thank you, thank you so much. Me. Thank you for talking to us today. This has been a delight. Uh, look forward to the many, many, many follow-up conversations I'm sure we'll be having about this movie <laughs> for years to come. Episode 2, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, before we go, John, uh, off chance, you have anything that you'd like to plug? No. No, just me. Just, just plug just me. You. Just, just John. Just John. No, ha- well, how about this? At John. Audience needs to write uh, Kari and Kyle so we can do Munich. Oh, yes. <laughs> Shortly yeah. thereafter, we're going to do... If we get enough do... letters, we will yeah. bring John back. Letters. They have to be letters. They have to be handwritten <laughs> on nice stationery. Not, yep. not school line paper. Podcast P.O. Box. <laughs> listed. Definitely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, thank you so much for joining us once yeah. again. Uh, if you would like more K Have You Seen in Your Life, please be sure to, of course, check out our back catalog on iTunes or wherever you hear podcasts. Um, check us out on social media on Facebook and Instagram primarily Instagram uh, at K have you seen with underscores um, but until next week I'm Kyle I'm Kari and we'll see you next time see ya